Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, JetBlue makes a surprise bid for Spirit. I'll see if they're a good fit. And Tom will tell us about Emirates' return to his favourite airport. Joe will tell us about the interesting business model for the new Jet Airways, while I look at Airbus's latest order for the A350 freighter. Finally, I'll see which airports were the world's busiest in 2021. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I think, Joe, it's really your turn to get started this week. <laughs> yeah, why not? So um, as we discussed a few weeks ago, um, Spirit Airlines was looking to tie up with um, another low cost in the US called Frontier. Um, they seemed a pretty good fit. They put out joint press releases. Everybody was on board. You know, it seemed like it was a done deal aside from all the kind Regulatory of... Um, yeah, rubbish. the competition checking and things like that. Um, but then last Last week, we had a surprise bid from JetBlue, um, completely unsolicited and a superior offer to Frontiers um, that really kind of rocked the boat. You know, nobody expected this to happen. So um, the carrier basically put forward a, a, a bid for $33 per share, which is around um, a third more than that that was offered by uh, Frontier. So, you know, from the shareholder's point of view, it's a better offer. Um, but actually, you know, it's a bit of a weird one. And you get the impression that maybe JetBlue didn't want it to come out quite as it did. Um, in fact, the CEO of JetBlue apparently told David Shepardson from um, Reuters that he was sitting on an Amtrak at the time coming back from Boston and it kind of leaked out and it wasn't really official but you know they just decided to go with it like, they were going to yeah. go for it but not at that precise moment um, I bet his so ignoring... phone started blowing up <laughs> yeah he said he couldn't really talk because his phone was cutting in and out because he was on the train um, mm. so you know overlooking the fact that the CEO of JetBlue decides to ride a train back from yeah. Boston and not his own airline let's see, ignore that um, <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. You know, the the price, the offer of $3.6 billion, um, you know, it, JetBlue, um, sorry, Spirit has said it will talk to JetBlue. Like, like I said, it was completely unsolicited. They didn't expect this. They are going to negotiate. Um, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Because it's yeah. more money. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you know, Spirit is a true ultra low cost carrier. It's very lightweight, very efficient. There's no frills. JetBlue, on the other hand, is very much a hybrid airline you know they've got better services but affordable price points you know they they do like to keep the costs down but you wouldn't call them low cost um Frontier is also a ULCC, you know, it's very much lightweight, very much about single fleet types and, you know, keeping the costs as low as possible with no added extras, you've got to pay for everything. So, you know, Frontier is absolutely the more logical choice. Um, and when you start looking into it, you know, they are complementary. All three carriers have a complementary um, sort of offering in terms of their fleet and in terms of their routes. Um, you know, they, they all fly the Airbus. Um, they all fly um, kind of, you know, routes around the US. They don't go very international, apart from JetBlue, who obviously comes to London. Yes. I think we've talked about that more than enough. <laughs> um, the passenger experience, though, is very different between JetBlue and between Frontier and Spirit. So, uh, you know, Frontier is 100% economy. They do have a few kind of um, extra legroom seats. Um 
Spirit is well known for the big front seat, which is like a sort of premium economy affair. But essentially, it is an all economy cabin. JetBlue has a much more complex cabin and fare structure. You know, they've got even more space extra legroom on all their planes. Some of their planes have got Mint, which is like a business class option. And the A321LRs have the Mint Studios, which are the Mm. kind of very front of the plane extra space um, positions. I'm surprised you haven't flown on that with your new addiction to business class. (laughs) Well, I was invited last year, but it was just too difficult with, um, with all the restrictions of going in and out of the US. So um, hoping to resurrect that later in the year, although I think our roots analyst, James Pearson, has got his eye on the uh, the Boston launch. So we'll see, we'll see. But uh, it's definitely one to check out. It's a, it looks like a glorious cabin. Um, but it doesn't fit very well with Spirit. You know, JetBlue's got IFE at every seat. They offer free Wi-Fi. You get none of that on Spirit. It's very much back to basics. Um, you know, so for me, I don't really understand what JetBlue wants. Um, if you Does remember... Anybody- <laughs> the airline previously bid for Virgin America, um, but in the end, they were beaten by Alaska. Um, but it, I guess this is, for them, a route to growth. Um, mm. Hayes has called the spirit bid a window of opportunity. Um, but, you know, opportunity for what? Well, if you look at it, pretty much everything. For a start, it's the potential for new destinations to be added because spirit does have a really strong position in Florida in particular and down to the kind of Caribbean and even into um, South America. You know, they, they touch points that JetBlue has never been to. So there's instantly mm. like a network expansion thing there. But also it could tackle some of the problems that are currently facing the US airline industry you know they've got huge issues with personnel right now there's a massive shortage of pilots um, Mm. but it's not just the pilots you know it's also flight attendants it's ground professionals um, because of the kind of pandemic effect it's not as easy to bring these people back at scale um, Mm. at the same scale as which they laid them off two years ago so you know what we're hearing in the news right now is all the delays and the cancellations you know it's happening here in Europe as well it's not just a US problem I've got my fingers Um, crossed for tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) But having, you know, to merge with Spirit, it wouldn't solve the problem, but it would give some breathing room and a larger workforce to kind of balance it out a little bit. Mm. And most notably, Spirit has a lot of all important production slots with Airbus. Um, You know, JetBlue has some as well, um, but an awful lot of its fleet growth that it's got in place right now hinges on the Airbus A220, which Mm. is produced very slowly. You know, they're very, very moderate with the speed at which they small jets come out um whereas you know spirit has um lots and lots of commitments in for the a321 the a320 neo the um and even um the a321 neo so there's lots of new planes coming and for JetBlue that would give it a ticket to massive expansion much quicker than it hoped Um, and actually if the JetBlue and Spirit merger did go ahead they would instantly instantly become the fifth largest airline in America Mm. so you know they would leapfrog Alaska and they'd be just behind the big four um from a passenger point of view, I think it would be a disaster. You know, they would retain the JetBlue brand. He's already said that. 
So it suggests mm. that they want to fully dismantle spirit, just cherry pick the parts that are seen as desirable and throw the rest of that band, brand in the bin. That would create one less ULCC in the US market. And when you look at it, there are very few low cost options in the US right now anyway. Um, you know, compared to somewhere like Europe, where we've got the giants of Ryanair, Wiz, EasyJet, all providing low cost options, there are very few non-full service airlines in the US. Um, so for passengers, I would be worried. Um, you know, the, the best thing, I think, for in my opinion, not that it counts for much, it would be for Spirit and Frontier to go ahead. Um, but, you know, with a, a stronger offer on the table, it just depends whether Indigo Partners is willing to raise their bid because I think at the end of the day, Spirit will be led by the biggest amount of money that's on the table. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting one to um, to keep a watch on. I mean, it, I don't really know much about it. I'm just going to go by what you tell me on this one. But um, yeah, <laughs> I'm fascinated and it's going to be a very interesting next few months watching how it does play out. So yeah, yeah. Well, from sort of hybrid and low cost to um, upper cost, um, I wanted to talk <laughs> about a, a sort of very high class, I would say, airline that's going back to a low cost airport. And that is Emirates. They're heading back to um, Stansted, which they've flown to before. But I just found this a really interesting story in general, not just because it's London Stansted, but because of, you know, when you look at Emirates' um, London network, it's crazy, you know, unless an airline is based in a city like British Airways flies out of Heathrow City and um, Gatwick. So it's not crazy. But, you know, like um, you wouldn't fly, find, um, say, for example, Lufthansa going to Heathrow, Gatwick and City. You know, they just kind of pick um, Gatwick and then um, the city, sorry, and they've got some services to um they picked Heathrow and got some services to City. God, I can't speak today. I know, um, I'm struggling with that as well. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I feel like that's a bad example anyway, because City is a completely different airport type to um, to Heathrow and Gatwick. But basically, Heath, um, Emirates, they fly to Heathrow, Gatwick and London Stansted. And um, it's interesting because, you know, they've got the A380 already to Heathrow and Gatwick. So there's, it's not like they lack capacity to London and they're adding even more at this time when, you know, like the world is still kind of in recovery, but <laughs> clearly Emirates is like, well, <laughs> Dubai We're there, to London. We've recovered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting because on August 1st, they're going to start with um, five flights to the airport each week, and that's going to increase to daily from September 1st. Um, you know, they've got the A380 to Heathrow and London, but they're actually going to be using their 777 uh, for Stansted. You can fly the A380 into Stansted, and Emirates has actually done it uh, for a charter flight that didn't happen because of COVID. Um mm. They flew it in and then flew it right back empty both ways, pretty much. But um, for the regular services, they're going to be using their 777 that comes with the Game Changer First Class product. And that's basically these fully enclosed first class suites. And what I really love about them is the suites in the middle actually have digital windows. And when you look at them, you you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference between the mm. real windows and the digital ones. Um, but when you add it all up, it's quite interesting because there will be 270 flights to London this September, according to Emirates, if they don't add any more flights. And that wow. includes a daily 777 to Stansted, a twice daily A380 to Gatwick and a six times daily A380 to Heathrow. Crazy. Um, it's just 
you, it's such a contrast from two summers ago when Emirates wasn't even flying, let alone mm. six A380s. Um, so it's quite interesting because they're going to be offering 4,425 seats to London each day. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. Um, you, you, you can't believe they could fill those planes up, but they do, don't they? <laughs> I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I'm not, I love seeing the A380 um, in the skies like this, and I'm glad Emirates keeps flying it, but it really is, the numbers are crazy. It's not just, um, but it's interesting because it's not just that route that's recovering. So um, the 777 is also going to start going to Bali and Rio de Janeiro and Buenos Aires in um, May and November for, um, depending on the mm. route what this means is you know like all emirates some of its fleet is still grounded the entire triple seven fleet is flying around half the a380 fleet's grounded but for every route that gets a triple seven put on it it kind of means that an a380 is being brought out of storage to go on another route that was being flown mm -hmm. by the triple seven um Interestingly, it also seems that the long-running feud between Nigeria and Emirates has really been resolved firmly because from July oh, thank 1st, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean they had resolved it before, but you know it could be they've it's resolved it several times before, and it's come it? back. Yeah. Um, this time they've said that they're going to fly to Lagos 11 times a week from July 1st, twice a day from September 1st, and Abuya will be served five times a week from May 1st. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, Singapore is going to go from daily to twice daily on June 23rd. So really a lot of movement in the Emirates camp, and I am excited to see more A380s coming back. In fact, I was looking at, um, up in the sky yesterday and I noticed something and I was like, oh, I think that's that's an A380. And I looked up on flight radar and it was the Expo A380 flying over, coming into land in Frankfurt. Oh, very so, nice. <laughs> um, I told Laura and she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. It's mm. such a nice livery. You've got to wonder how it long is. they're going to leave it on there though, now that Expo's so actually finished. I'm so sad that I didn't get to see it close up either, but I'm, we got to see it in Dubai, which was happy. We did, we did. Mm. So um, from... Uh, the Middle East, let's hop over to India because we are edging ever closer to the relaunch of Jet Airways Mark II, shall we call mm. it? Um, are we? So <laughs> I feel like I don't we, know. We, we have been for a very long time now. <laughs> let's just call them Jet Airways because yep. I don't think they're going to be calling them jet, themselves Jet Airways too. But everything is um, kind of starting to fall into place. And they've made several key appointments in recent weeks, including appointing the new CEO, Sanjeev Kapoor. Um, so so, you know, the airline never truly went out of business, but they've been mm. grounded for three years. So, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see them coming back. They're a very much loved Indian brand. Mm. Um, and Ka Kapoor this week actually made his first kind of public appearance with media and managed to sort of bring us some um, information on what the airline is going to look like, um, yep. as well as its roadmap towards the restart of operations. So I found this really interesting because what they're looking at is a hybrid approach approach but it's very much two in one you know whereas JetBlue we were discussing is very much hybrid from nose to tail um, you know everything is kind of moderately priced but you get some extras you know you get a bit of food and drink and mm. free wi-fi and screens and stuff Jet Airways is actually looking at being a full service luxury carrier up the nose and a low-cost carrier down the back um, this I find difficult to get my head around a little bit um, so 
what they're talking about is a business class at the front end, which will be full service, free meals, other perks of full service travel, probably like free check baggage, seat selection, other in-flight amenities. But mm. those down the back in the economy class will be modelled on a low-cost basis, um, with the airline hoping to lower its price enough to compete with low-cost rivals. Um, so, you know, this will be no frills, no extras, no bags. You have to pay for all the extra bits and pieces you want. So, you know, hybrid models have Sounds become... Sounds like with British Airways. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. And they're supposed to be full service. But so, um, th this is the thing, though. You know, with British Airways, yeah, it is kind of like a low-cost appearance mm. down the back. But their prices are still nowhere near as low as an airline like Ryanair can achieve. Because they oh. don't have that, you know, that efficiency of... Yeah. That's kind of, of why they launched their um, new airline in Gatwick, though, to try and get there. Mm, they've mm. tried before, though, and I, I don't know if they're, they're capable of being quite that... Um, you know, I think you've got to cut out costs at all levels of the business. Yeah. You know, you can't just make a cabin or a, a particular subsidiary a low-cost brand. You, the whole business needs to be efficient, mm. and that's where airlines like Wiz and Ryanair get it right. Everything from, you know, the CEO downwards is low-cost and efficient and no frills. Um, you know, it's an interesting idea. I, I can absolutely see why they did it. I mean, part of the reason Jet Airways went out of business in the first place was because Spicejet and Indigo came onto the scene and started stripping out the prices in the Indian domestic market. And they had no choice but to lower their prices to try and stay competitive. But they hadn't done the efficiency making kind of higher up the, the business model. So mm. it ended up just losing money hand over fist and eventually having to declare bankruptcy. Um so, I mean, it's it's interesting. It will be interesting to see whether it does work. Um, perhaps Kapoor's got a really good idea. You know, maybe he's stumbled on the greatest twist to airline operating strategies since the jet engine. Um, but I have to say, for me, I doubt it. Um, I, I think, you know, if you're trying to be a jack of all trades, you will end up being a master of none. Um, mm. But I remain to be proven wrong. So in terms of what's next for Jess Airways, you know, like I say, they've got their CEO in place. They've got several other executive positions in place. At the moment, the thing that is slowing down progress is the awarding of the air operator's permit. Um, in order to secure this, they need to undertake a proving flight, which is kind of difficult to do when you haven't got any aircraft. Um, but they are um, apparently in the final stages of leasing a Boeing 737 um, that okay. should be in place by the end of this month. If it arrives in time, then they should be doing their proving flight either later this month or early in May. And once that AOP is secured, it will be able to start bringing in investments and negotiating for slots at the airports it wants to serve. Um, they've already begun their recruitment. I think we covered that a few months ago that they were hiring pilots and, and specialist crews. Um, and they'll continue to push to secure all the talent they need to relaunch the airline. Um, mm. And Kapoor has actually already said that preference will be given to those who previously worked at Jet Airways. So if there are still people out of work that gives them a bit of hope that they'll be back um, mm. back in the saddle soon enough as you'd expect they're starting with leased aircraft because that's the fastest way to build a fleet um, but they are evaluating options with Airbus Boeing and Embraer for future needs um, and they're looking at an order for around 100 narrowbody jets that could be placed by the end of this year so we will wait and see fun yeah let's watch the space as, as we do mm. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I wanted to circle back to Airbus and the A350 and Europe because, 
why not? <laughs> what I found really interesting today as we're recording the podcast is that the Air France KLM group confirmed an order for four A350 freighters. So, um, you know, they first revealed that this freighter commitment was coming in December. And this was alongside a significant A320 family order that I think you wrote about, Joe. Mm-hmm, um, that's right. What they've done is they've finalized um, orders for four A350 freighters. Um, I think I believe they've still got the options for four more planes, so that wasn't mentioned um, in Airbus's um, release on the topic. Um, you know, um, Christian Scherer said that um, Airbus is gratified by the wave of early adopters who, like Air France, see the economics and environmental signature of the A350s as standing out versus alternatives, past, existing, and future. Um, it was interesting. I've, I'm not sure if it's new because um, I haven't really been following it so quickly, uh, so closely. But we did get some details about the 350 uh, freighter. Um, there's 29 orders and commitments so far, and they come from five different airline customers. Historically, mm-hmm. Airbus, you know, they haven't placed an enormous focus on freight. They did the freight version of the A330. They tried the A380. They got orders for it, but it never made it to the production line. Um, the 350F, as we know, is sort of designed to compete with Boeing's new freighter based on the 777X. Mm-hmm. According to Airbus, the 350F, it will have 109-ton payload capacity. Airbus claims that this is around three tons more than the aircraft's competition, with around 11% more volume available on the plane. And additionally, there's a 20% drop in fuel burn from its current closest competitor, meaning fewer emissions. But I'm assuming... When it's they say that they talk about the last generation triple seven because they say current competitor, so I kind of wonder how it will compare to the triple seven X freighter. Mm. Um, it is interesting, you know, because both KLM and uh, Air France have traditionally maintained a presence in the cargo sector. You know, KLM kept its uh, 747s for cargo flights after um, they retired them from passenger use. But since they've retired those, they've got no uh, dedicated freighter aircraft at this moment. Air France currently has two Boeing 777-200 freighters, and they're both aged around 13 years old. Um, Interestingly, they are both currently going in to be repainted out of the old Air France livery. So um, Mm. one would imagine they've still got a few more years left in them. Mm, definitely. Well, you wouldn't bother if you were retiring them, but uh, yep. glad to see the A350F um, in yep. Europe. I mean, you know, Air France was the natural, really, for that. Will they be the launch customer, do we know, or um, is that not I, revealed yet? Nothing was said about that. Um, I know Singapore Airlines, they've got their order. Um, I'm not sure the breakdown of firm and commitments between others, mm. but... Um, yeah, I, I think we're still quite a few years off anyway, so plenty of time to kind yeah. of finesse exactly who's going to be first. Definitely, definitely. Well, I wanted to um, kind of move on to some really good news about the recovery in aviation. So we spent a lot of time talking about how awful everything has been over the last couple of years. Um, Well, actually, in 2021, things started getting a little bit more back to normal, um, as was evident by um, the ACI World Passenger Traffic Rankings that Mm. were released earlier this week. So um, within this, it showed that Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport has reclaimed its position as the busiest airport in the world. Um, So you'll remember it was knocked off its number one spot in 2020 by Gung Chow in China. Um, Which has now gone back down to eight, hasn't it? 
It has. It's gone way down the list. So um, before that, Atlanta was the busiest airport in the world for 22 years in a row. Mm. Um, so they'll be really glad to be back at the top this year, uh, the end of 2021. Um, but, you know, it's not all roses because although they're back at the top, they are still around 31% lower in terms of passenger traffic than they were in 2019. But they're mm. up 76% from 2020. Um, and in 2021, they served 75 million points seven passengers 75.7 million passengers that's more of a logical way to say that really isn't it Um, also at the top were several other u.s airports i guess reflecting the massive rise in domestic traffic um around the u.s dallas fort worth was second um up 58% from 2020, but still 16% lower than 2019. They were followed by Denver, Chicago, Los Angeles, Charlotte and Orlando. And then down in eighth position, as you mentioned, was Gung Chow um, and another Asian airport, Chengdu, at number nine. And rounding out the top 10 was Las Vegas. Mm. Um, So all of these airports, apart from Chengdu, are flying at a much higher rate than in 2020. Um, And uh, Guangzhou was uh, decreased as well. Yeah, sorry. You're absolutely right. So both those airports, Gangchao is actually down 8% from 2020 and Chengdu 1.5% from Mm. 2020. So I think it's really interesting how they kind of had quite a solid recovery in 2020, but now it's kind of dipping down again because they are still, you know, pursuing this kind of Mm. zero COVID approach. I mean, Um, I think it'll be fascinating. It's not the top 10, but just to see what happens to Shanghai's numbers this year, because, you know, Mm. that's just not really a viable airport at all right now. Exactly. Well, you know, I was going to mention that there are a number of airports that are not in that list that are surprising um, to not see in the busiest airports list. Um, for example, Beijing Capital, Dubai, Tokyo Haneda, London Heathrow, Shanghai mm. Pudong, Paris well, we Charles all know, de Gaulle. All we all of those, know why Heathrow isn't in there. <laughs> <laughs> all of those would have been in the top 10 um, mm. back in 2019. But, you know, the world's changed a lot since then. Hopefully, mm. we'll see them sliding back in through the course of 2020 if recovery continues. Um, In terms of international airports, um, Dubai International is number one. Still, it has one of the lowest levels of traffic recovery versus 2019. Um, But, you know, they've got minimal COVID restrictions and obviously lots of kind of hub and spoke traffic from Emirates Mm. and Fly Dubai. Um, Interestingly, not one airport in the Far East made the top 10 list for international traffic. Um, There was no Hong Kong, Seoul, Incheon, Singapore, Bangkok or Taipei. Um, You know, they're all really suffering enormously Mm. still into this year right now. Um, None more so than Hong Kong. Kong, which is really struggling to find its place in the the new world Mm. order. Um, Istanbul Airport was especially strong for international traffic as well. It was second in the list, and Mm. that's its highest ever ranking, up from sixth in 2020 and 14th in 2019. So, you know, it's doing what it was supposed to do, um, what it says on the tin, becoming a hub-and-spoke airport for Turkish airlines. Um, They're also in a great position to connect east and west, but... Mm. Also making the top 10 list of international traffic this year was Amsterdam, your local Frankfurt, uh, Paris Charles de Gaulle, Doha, London Heathrow, Antalya, Madrid and Cancun. Mm. Um, So in terms of the change versus 2020, only one airport was actually lower on international traffic than it was last year. And that was London Heathrow, down Mm. 14.7% versus its statistics in 2020 and still down 76% against 2019. 
So we're yeah, still a long way to go for London. It's interesting because they're kind of predicting that on their peak days this year in the summer, they'll get close to 2019 figures. But it's just, I think they can kind of start getting there now that there's no travel restrictions at all to the UK, which kind of makes it mm-hmm. unique in a way. But it's just way overdue, you know. The UK's restrictions were way too strict at the at their even at, when they weren't so strict at all. Yeah, but what we're finding now is that we've got no restrictions. Everybody's got COVID and everybody's off sick. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, we we do approach it from an aviation perspective here at Simple Flying, and it's been absolutely chaotic at the UK airports, not just Heathrow, but all of them, mm. um, as the school Easter holidays kicked in because everybody's been waiting for a vacation for like two years. Mm. Um, I'm not going anywhere this holiday. It looks absolutely madness. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's not just that. You know, we're understaffed in our shops. We're understaffed on the buses. We're understaffed in the doctors the hospitals are overflowing it's just chaotic um but hopefully we will get to a point where we reach peak covid and everybody's Mm. had it or got it or just doesn't care anymore and stops taking Mm. time off sick and just goes to work because yeah yeah, it's just a bit chaotic (laughs) (laughs) you'll be lucky keep your Mm. ffp3 mask on there tom (laughs) ffp2 please (laughs) okay Anyway, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.